Welcome to the Voce Nation podcast. 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 All right, welcome everyone to the Voce Nation podcast. I'm your co-host Randy Sar, and we're joined today by my co-host Chris Silk. Silk, hello, hello. Hello, and we have a special guest today uh, that we'll get to right away. Uh, man is Sam Whitmore. Sam, welcome. Hi, thank you, Randy. Nice to be here. Yeah, so we're super excited that you're here. Uh, you're going to shed some uh, lessons learned and some best practices on how to work with the media, as well as the technologies that they're using and some of the um, some of the things that you're seeing and and how best to for a clients and the agency to work better together with the media on setting expectations. So that is our essentially what we're going to be talking about today. Um, we'll do a, a few housekeeping items. Uh, if you guys want to follow us on Twitter, we're at, at Voce Nation. Uh, you can ping us there for any questions, whether you listen to this on demand, uh, whether it's on SoundCloud or whether it's on iTunes. Uh, if you haven't listened to us, on either of those, definitely do, and then write us uh, an awesome review because we know you love us. Um, and if not, we want to hear your, your actual feedback, so definitely do that. I'm going to still, uh, you want to list off, uh, perhaps we can just talk about um, a couple of the things that are happening on the Voce Nation blog uh, in the past uh, few days? Yeah, uh, we've been covering uh, this month and we'll continue to cover over the course of the rest of the month. Uh, just kind of thoughts from the around the Voce Nation as to what people wish they knew uh, when they were leaving college and entering the workforce. So things like uh, they wish they knew how uh, they wish there had been more of an emphasis on on client management. Uh, one guy said uh, he wished he had learned the value of a good night's sleep. Uh, so What's look. That? So look for those posts yeah. up now and more to come. Uh, I also put up a post this morning uh, with a few lessons from the Chicago State of Innovation event that I attended yesterday. Oh, cool. Uh, talking about the tech industry in Chicago. So uh, votecommunications.com, check it out, and uh, stay tuned for more. Awesome. Uh, and then one last thing before we get to Sam. Uh, and Sam, I mean, this is an interest to you as well. Uh, today is Global Accessibility Awareness Day. Uh, so it is a day where um, all across the world, at every single Apple store, at uh, a lot of different meetups around the world, they're trying to promote um, the knowledge of what a digital, what digital accessibility is. And so we're trying to get people that are don't have the, the disabilities uh, to be able to understand what it's like to, for instance, uh, navigate a website uh, without the mouse or the trackpad, or perhaps to use the voiceover uh, capability in your Mac or in uh, other uh, OSs, um, and just see what it's like to have uh, the, the voiceover app read your, your website. Um, so it's really important, I think, uh, for everybody to, to understand the importance of it uh, just what the what people have to go through. Um, so we actually wrote um, my coworker Mary and, and also Silk. Uh, you wrote a pretty awesome uh, package of content all about digital accessibility, uh, and that is also um, on the uh, Voce Communications website. Which I'll do a blog post on it, and then 
we'll make sure that we link it up because um, right now it's on the PN Connect website. So we'll make sure that's all linked up. But tons of great info. All we ask you guys to do, spend, let's say, five minutes on just navigating your favorite website without the uh, trackpad or your mouse. Let's see what it's like. So. Wow. All right. Uh, so cool. Well, Sam, uh, as I said, thanks a bunch for coming. Uh, so uh, tell us, um, well, first of all, where are you? Because right now I see it looks like a map <laughs> <Not> of <laughs> right there. The, that <clears throat> is uh, the version one of Google Maps right behind you. Um, but no, tell us, uh, where are you and, and who are you? Uh, well, um, second part first, uh, I've been a journalist pretty much all my life. Uh, got my first journalism job when I was 17 years old and, um, I'm really an analyst these days. I analyze tech media to uh, study what works and most PR people, their world is, Let's come up with some story ideas and see if we can place them. And it sort of comes from client, this collaboration with the agency, and then it's sort of sales time. I do it the opposite way. I interview editors about why did you do it that way? How come we don't cover this anymore? Why are you doing it this way? Why no art on that one? And so build basically this ongoing live database of, of, of the way that they think and then package that for uh, both PR agencies and brands as well. Uh, Autodesk and NI and GE are subscribers. Um, and, and so that's, it's that kind of a consultancy. I study what works. As far as where I am, uh, I'm in a town of 600 people right now. It's called Starks, Maine. It's, uh, there are more uh, trees than people here by far and i'm um, speaking to you on on a dsl line which is screeching fast bandwidth for this part of the country <laughs> <laughs> uh, you were saying your first job was at 17 uh what was your first job i was a sports reporter i was a sports reporter i covered basketball and hockey and i grew up loving sports but mostly i grew up loving sports media and I thought, this is what I want to do with my life. And I still like sports, but then technology, computers, and all that stuff happened. And so I never really looked back. Got a job at PC Week in 1984 when no one knew who Bill Gates was or Michael Dell or any yeah. of those people. And it, it was sort of like being at Rolling Stone in the 70s, I guess, when it just caught the wave. So uh, that's my background. Cool. Uh, all right, uh, Phil, go for it. Uh, yeah, along the same lines, Sam, uh, tell us one thing that people might be surprised to know, one thing that's not on your LinkedIn profile. Hmm. Very little is on my LinkedIn profile. Uh, <laughs> as far as what um, sort of my, my, my personality, um, I am a, a, a pilot. I haven't flown in quite a long time. But I have 700 hours of flying airplanes uh, with an instrument rating. And so that takes a particular kind of discipline to trust procedures, to trust machines. And uh, the most basic trust of all, I'm going to put my life in this airplane's hands and uh, and make it do what I want. And so... Uh, that was probably one of the most satisfying ongoing experiences of my life to uh, take calculated risks and have uh, an exhilarating time every single time I, I flew. 
Nice. Awesome. That's really cool. Uh, I've never flown before. I've always wanted to get my pilot's license. Um, so um, might have to come back to you with some uh, some uh, tips. Um, all right. So you were just talking about uh, your relationships uh, with the media. Um, and, and for those that are listening in, um, and this is kind of a general uh, question, but what are some of your ways of how you build relationships? Because that is super key for us at the agency to build relationships with uh, the media. What are some of the, the tips that you have that, that you can share um, that people can, can use right away? Oh, here's a basic one. And so few people in PR use the word readers or audience. Uh, they may say, well, here's a story for you. But the point of common cause in my experience between PR and reporters is that you're both trying to serve the same group of people. You may call it different names. They call them readers and <clears throat> you'd call them or the client would call them prospects or customers. But if you could approach stories with sort of a reader ROI attitude saying the reason that they're going to read a story like this might be A or B, um, it, it speaks to the fact that the reporters really are in service to somebody other than themselves. And uh, that, I think, is just one of the basic things that all PR people should try. And I think they'll be pleasantly surprised when they do that. Okay. No, that's, that's, a, that's a good tip. Um, I mean, for me, the way that I've, you know, we can do a roundtable just real quick uh, in terms of how I've built up my relationships. You know, my focus is on the digital and social end of, of things. And for me, it's, it's always been no matter where you are, be able to to share your, your contact information or to bring up, um, to learn more about someone, right? Uh, and I think, uh, Excuse me. For me, that. It's, it's not always a, a hard sell on someone. Like, why do you want to get to know me? That's probably what they're going on in their head. But I think it's also good to to just see if you can help someone out. Um, that's goes a long way, right? Versus just saying, "I need this now. I need this now. Can you help me with this?" Like, how can I help you? So, I think for me, that's how I build up my relationships. Um, well, think about it just real, Randy, just think about like in real life, if you had a pickup truck and somebody, yeah. friend of yours said, hey, can I borrow your truck? I got to move this weekend. And you never really heard from them any other time. Okay, well, the first time you might lend them the truck. Yeah. Uh, so then another six months goes by and then they call and ask to borrow the truck again. I mean, come on. So readers <laughs> really think about PR people in the same way. PR people rarely ever get in touch with a reporter unless they're on task, that they, they need the reporter to do something. Yeah. And uh, it, it's counterintuitive. A lot of junior people especially say, well, I don't want to annoy the reporter. I don't want you know, their time is valuable. It's really not about that. You can just send them a link. Say, hey, FYI, in case you missed it, uh, they just announced this study in Norway. It said this. Have a nice day. You know, if you only did that once a month, heck, you know, the, the third or fourth month when you actually do pitch them, they're going to say, hey, let's talk. You know, they, that works. No, it does. Um. So, you know, over the years, you know, your first job was at 17. So I definitely you built up uh, the relationships. Um, what's the best way that you've, uh, that you keep in touch with people um, uh, today? Or is it through social media? Is it you go to actual events? Do you see them uh, or, or do you just 
phone call? What, what's what's the best way? It's to... mostly it's mostly email uh, or or social. Um, FaceTime is is okay, uh, but it, it it doesn't scale. And uh, at this point, at, at my age, I'm going to be 60 this summer. I know so many journalists, I can't possibly keep uh, up with all of them, uh, nor probably what I want to. Uh, but uh, I mean, just sending them, hey, uh, nice story. And it, it doesn't have to be, you know, sort of brown nosing about it. Uh, you can say, you know, that was a nice uh, connection you made between A and B. Um, the sincerity part comes in when you actually read the piece from beginning to end and you have some sort of nuance that you could cite when you say, hey, that was a good story. Because then they'll know that you actually read it the way that their editor read it. And uh, people remember that. So um, yeah. it's, it's all these things are just like basic sort of courtesy things, but everybody is so heads down all the time. And uh, it's, it's tough to, to have the discipline to do that. But uh, those are all things that I know work. All right. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point you make about reading the whole thing. Where so much of our media consumption these days, and I see it all the time, is somebody read a headline and maybe the extract somebody is just is basing their opinion of a piece based on the on the tweet that they saw promoting it uh, without reading it and there's so much more information and context and, and value in the entire story uh, than what is shared on uh, on social channels in particular one one of the uh, challenges that journalists have today psychologically is that their work is is so devalued relative to the amount of time that they sweat whether they should do a participial phrase or whether they should use a gerund or not you know um, they they really labor to to articulate the story as best they can and uh you just don't get the appreciation at the language level that you used to for all these different reasons. But so that's a way to build a relationship. And it may sound borderline flattering, but if you don't overdo it, uh, it's probably one of the most valuable things you can do. Great, Great point. Great point. All right. Um, one of the, you know, you've been working with us, you know, full disclosure, uh, for a while now. Uh, we subscribe to your service. Uh, if anybody yes, you do. Hasn't gone, and I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, and if anybody hasn't gone uh, to your website, so it's mediasurvey.com. Um, and, you know, one of the topics that we're talking about pretty soon is, is live streaming and Facebook Live. Um, that's one of your recent reports that are out there. Um, but one of the things that I wanted to ask about is, more from uh, a, again, it's about relationships. So when an agency is, is hired by a client, you know, the expectations for us need to be set really early on. Um, everyone needs to understand not just what the deliverables are, but how, what the process is and workflow, and also when certain things happen, what, what is the agency gonna do and vice versa. Uh, so from your perspective, how do you think uh, that the clients should set expectations with agencies and then vice versa? I've never been in a kickoff meeting before. Um, I think that 
there should be at least one AE or senior AE uh, in every kickoff meeting. I don't know. Let me ask you guys, is it common for a senior AE or an AE to uh, be sort of at a, at a peer level with the VPs in a kickoff meeting? Yeah, I would say yeah. so. Yeah, totally. Okay. Okay, because I think the um, the important dialogue needs to be that uh, – there are uh, there are there are certain fundamental changes in media that may impact our ability to um, to execute, and I'm not sure you want to bring that up when you're pitching the business. <laughs> it's probably not good. Uh, it's probably not good technique to do that. But one of the things I think is that uh, reporters um, work in sort of a uh, entertainment values environment now. And that the performance, meaning the page views, the shares, the dwell time, uh, all these things are measured very uh, accurately along the line. So that um, I think an agency would want to tell the client that um, CEO access time or whoever the highest level on that you have is, is very important. And that... Um, Candor is very important. And, and to have a sort of a side discussion on what resonates today, what gets a story shared in social media it might be a good headline, it might, might be something more substantial than that. So um, I think whoever is closest to the fabric of media uh, needs to say, we're in sort of an infotainment game now. Uh, whereas Let's say it was a B2B client. Let's make this more specific. Let's say a B2B client and the, and the culture is sales there. The top people at that client got that job because they were good at sales. And it was sort of a win-lose environment. We outsold, so we got promoted and that whole thing. So you can't expect a culture like that to really understand that uh, the IDGs and tech targets and, uh, and the uh, tech – uh, republics and people like that really try to get Facebook in the headline and Apple in the headline and there's a lot of SEO going on. So I think that the uh, there needs to be a tactical uh, there needs to be a tactical dialogue, not just a strategic dialogue saying, okay, Q1, we want to do this, Q2, we want to do this, by Q4, we need to be here. Uh, that's strategic. And this needs to be a tactical dialogue saying, okay, well, you know, just how many uh, interviews are you going to make available for me so I can place them and uh, and and how honest or vulnerable do you think you can you can bring yourself to be how genuine can you bring yourself to be when you sit down with Forbes or fortune you know get off your talking points like be the man or woman that you are when you wake up in the morning yeah and and, and uh, I don't think those dialogues take place. And what happens is people call me and say, we're not getting anywhere. We're up against the wall. The client's upset. And uh, what happens is they don't have the ammo that these profile writers uh, need in order to, uh, to make these stories resonate. So that's sort of a long-winded uh, response. But I, I feel very strongly that uh, the niceties, okay, let's have the niceties and you know, let's let's go get them. But it's 
you know, the media business is more difficult than it's ever been. And content is, uh, is a commodity. So, um, the client needs to contribute more in order to get the agency to, to, to do the job that the client wants. Yeah, uh, that's very true. Um, just a kind of follow up to that. We talked about authenticity and being genuine, you know, be the person that you are when you wake up in the morning. Uh, from your perspective over the years that you've worked, has thought leadership uh, changed uh, from, say, 20 years ago to what it is now? Did it even exist 20 years ago in the form of. Oh, sure, it did. Sure, it did. But uh, by thought leadership, or we, well, that's a broad term, but contributed yeah. content is under that. Public speaking is under that. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know. Content. Okay, well, if we're talking contributed content, there's something very uh, important that's going on in 2016 that I hadn't seen in 15 or 14 or 13. And that is that a lot of publications are asking PR people to pitch multiple ideas, not just, hey, I have the 600 word piece that needs a home, you know, will you take it in? The, the, I'm talking about Forbes or, uh, or TechCrunch or uh, even in Fortune, uh, a lot of these publications these days really uh, would like to outsource their beat system in some way to be able to build a relationship with someone, even if they're a vendor, if they know something really soup to nuts and they're willing to be professorial about it, then you can have multiple pieces. And uh, if you want to pitch Lauren Feldman, for example, at Forbes, who runs the entrepreneur section, that's what you've got to do. He's not going to just listen to you know one piece. He he wants to know 360, right, yeah. of what this person knows. Yeah, the whole ecosystem. Yep. So uh, that's different the, the, in my experience, uh, just because they are uh, they, they can, publication can't possibly hire everybody they want at a fully loaded in you know job slot. So they want regular contributors and bring back return return visits. So. Uh, it, can you get a client to commit to that? No. <laughs> that is a tough one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, from our experience, I think there's, I mean, it's about expectations, but it's also about just reality. Um, for a lot of people, you have to have that honest conversation with them early on in the relationship. And if you want to get to point A, this is what you got to do. Um, and, you know, and it depends on the client. I mean, some just can't do it and, and others can. I didn't answer the other half of the question about the expectations. Uh, as far as what uh, what uh, a client would owe an agency, uh, I don't know. You, you may you may have this already in place at Voce, but you know, do you have ninety day or or one hundred twenty day checkpoints where you have a lunch or a thirty minute conversation, and it's not anything to do with the tactics or the job. It's about mm. how are we doing? How are we doing? Is this you know working for you? Uh, you know, when you did this two months ago, that, that was awesome. And I know we told you at the time, but you know, that was really impressive, Oche, when you did this, uh, or when you, when you didn't do that, how come, you know, yeah, yeah, you may probably hear about that at the bottom one. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, so to answer your question, yes. Uh, at least I haven't, and Phil, I assume you have as well. Yeah, totally. Uh, definitely have had those conversations. And then I think, um, you have to, like, and whether it's good or bad, whether you know what to expect when you go to that meeting or not. I mean, you just, if you want that relationship to last, um, you need to have those those check-ins and that in-person versus just a phone call. 
in in addition to this issue of uh, the inter entertainment values emerging even in B2B, the other thing, very basic thing, is that the audiences, both B2B and B2C, read less, and they watch more, and they listen more. I mean, look at what we're doing right now. And so um, my experience, most of the clients still think in words. And press releases are central and articles, and they even use words like get me some ink. And uh, I mean, that era, I mean, YouTube was, was bought by Google 10 years ago. I mean, even that's old, right? Uh, but there's this, there's this lag, I think, in the client base that uh, they, they haven't really uh, put visuals as uh, the, primary, the primary method uh, over words. And I think that has to change, especially if you want to reach somebody under 30, it totally has to change. And uh, I just don't, I see a lot of lethargy on that one. Do you think that that's because, do you think that's because there's still a generation that was raised on clipbooks and, and, and things, or do you think that it's, do you think that the barrier to entry as easy as things like Anchor and, and SoundCloud and Blab and, and YouTube have made audio and video, do you think there's still a barrier to entry in terms of uh, uh, expectations around production value? What do you mean like clients expect uh, broadcast television production value? Yeah, and that, and that not only do they expect, but so many people feel like quick and dirty video on uh, Vine or uh, Snapchat or something like that doesn't meet the audience expectation that they that they assume that everything that's going to come out is going to be at the level of broadcast quality or the, uh, the top influencers on a channel who are you know, spending days crafting their, their magic trick, six second videos and, and such. <laughs> well, I think that there are um, different tools in the toolbox. If you wanted to have uh, an accompanying video to uh, an annual report or earnings announcement or something like that, that needs to be pretty high quality. But if you think about, again, back to the first thing I said, which was the audience and the readership, what is the environment in which this content is being consumed? What the heck is wrong with this? You know, I mean, this shows video just fine. And this is the primary device, not the laptop we're all sitting in front of right now, I assume. This is the primary device. So uh, in terms of scale and bang for the buck, I think even B2B clients need to realize that uh, it doesn't need to be broadcast. Well, it doesn't reflect poorly on their decision making. It, it, it's not about them. It's about the standards by which their customers and prospects will consume this information and whether they will feel good about the brand that's creating it. It's not about their ego in producing it. The pro production part is much less important than how it will be perceived and we, we live in a world where this is perfectly okay and I don't I don't have an Apple watch but you know what you know someday this will be okay too for a lot of clients yeah. that's a great point yeah no I totally agree it's it's always been about I mean you still need to have your your act together and and, and the brand needs to have the story and narrative built out um, when you're creating these raw and authentic videos and content. Um, but you're right. Uh, you don't need to spend uh, 
the crazy amounts of, of, of money and budget that we used to spend back in the day. All right. Uh, so let's, uh, I know we had one more question. Uh, let's take that towards the end. How much time do we have? We have about an hour. So we're about 30 minutes in. Uh, if anybody um, wants uh, to ask Sam any questions. Uh, so Sam, uh, just, we're in the middle and let's just give people contact information. So waiting towards that. Good idea. Uh, so go ahead and give your contact information and, and how people can reach you. Uh, my contact information, uh, Twitter, Sam Whitmore, uh, my first and last name. Uh, email is sam at mediasurvey.com. Those are the two uh, primary channels. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, the website is mediasurvey.com as well. Okay. Our content our content is password protected. It uh, has been since 1998. Everybody thought I was out of my mind uh, <laughs> making people use passwords, but I don't know. A lot of people do now. Yeah. No. But, uh, yeah, so. Okay. Uh, and let's go on to uh, tools. So one of the, I know we're about 30 minutes in and we haven't talked about we talked a little bit about tools, but let's talk about uh, the ones that we want to reference today. So live streaming, you did a report recently on that, uh, and specifically around Facebook Live. And then we'll go through Product Hunt and then G2 Crowd. Um, so let's talk about Facebook Live and, and how's, the, how's the media and publications using it. Uh, they're still circling it. Um, it's a little bit... Uh... It's something of an enigma for a lot of people, but it's, and from a utilization point of view, it's pretty easy, right? You just press one button and you can do it. We're doing it right. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, okay. So uh, John Fort is uh, somebody to watch, literally. Uh, he has a Facebook page, professional page, <clears throat> where he uh, maybe once or twice a week uses Facebook Live to do what you and I are doing right now, to uh, – well, actually, not literally, because he has people uh, sending him Facebook messages in real time, and he'll look down and say, oh, hey, Mary, how you doing? Uh, and sometimes he doesn't know the person. Sometimes he does, but uh, he'll talk about a particular topic. And, and who is uh, he again? Uh, John Fort uh, is a, an on-air personality at CNBC. Okay. Uh, he's on uh, Squawk Box and uh, the show at the end of when the market closes there. And former Fortune reporter. And so he's uh, he uses it as a way to understand who his viewership is. Because when he's on television, uh, he has no input. Again, that's all outbound. Uh, but with Facebook Live, he gets a sense of... Uh, what venture capitalists might be asking him or what just weekend investors uh, ask him. And he also uses Periscope as well. In fact, uh, on May 11th, he uh, simulcast uh, Facebook Live and Periscope at the same time to see if the audience is a lot of coordination. <laughs> well, he's, he's a TV guy, so yeah. he's totally okay with video. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think he represents... Uh, a kind of journalist who uses it as a uh, sort of a laboratory for uh, <clears throat> so that he can represent uh, the viewer's interest just as well as uh, helping a guest to come across well 
on the air. So he, he's doing a pretty good job there. And there are some others. Uh, Casey Newton at The Verge has uh, 14,000 plus followers on uh, his Periscope feed, and he'll pop up and do things from time to time. Um, Jessica Lesson from The Information, she used Meerkat. I don't know if she ever kept it up, but Meerkat is sort of the forgotten video. Is that still around? Platform. Yeah, they're 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 like tapping their toes, saying "Buy me already!" For God's sake! Yeah, before it's too late. Uh, yeah, but Meerkat's out there. So um, I have not seen sort of um, systematic use of Facebook Live yet. That doesn't mean it's out there. Uh, Fortune did simulcast something in May of 2016. They have a um, Fortune Live broadcast every Friday. And uh, they simulcast it on Facebook Live, uh, primarily, I think, to get input the way that I was describing with John Fort. So, uh, you know, it, it really is going to separate the people that want to broadcast at you uh, versus the people that want to broadcast with you. And uh, it'll be very interesting to see in the universe of video how many brands uh, and how many journalists are really interested in a two-way that paid a lot of lip service uh, for many years. But it'll be interesting to see who actually wants to interact with the hoi polloi. Yeah, I mean, one thing that came up, uh, I saw an article on uh, on Adweek where BuzzFeed was actually doing a uh, an interview with President Obama using, uh, I believe it was Facebook Live, and then they had, and then it just wasn't working, and then they had to switch over to YouTube right away. Um, so it sounds like some growing pains. Uh, I know that originally when it launched Facebook live, it was just for individuals and people using Facebook mentions, which is their influencer app. Um, but now we're starting to see a lot more brands, uh, using it. Um, again, BuzzFeed is one of them. They, I think they first filmed, I think it was their employees smashing a watermelon. Putting putting <coughs> putting rubber bands around. Rubber, yeah, rubber bands around. Yeah. I think they got eighty thousand rubber bands on there before it finally exploded. And you know, to me, I'm sorry, I must be old and in the way, but that's dopey. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's dopey. Um, uh, one thing we should point out about Facebook Live is that uh, Facebook pays, at least at this stage, they pay publications to produce video for it. Yeah, uh, they pay the New York Times and some other. New York Times has six people on staff focused on producing content for Facebook Live. That's an enormous commitment, wow. in my opinion. <clears throat> That's what you can do when you have eight hundred editors. Uh, so, but th they don't want to miss the train on that. So they've assigned Louise Story, who's very well known in uh, in uh, journalism. Yeah, Louis, it's Louise and five other folks. So I think it's interesting that they uh, they paid, uh, seeded the clouds, as it were, to get uh, a certain constituency out there to make this thing work. I mean, the subtext, guys, is that Twitter beat them to the punch here with with Periscope. Oh yeah, they got they got Periscope out there, and uh, Twitter is on the ropes in a broad sense. And so Facebook really is counterattacking with Facebook Live, and they'll pay they'll do whatever they can to make that work they got the money <laughs> they sure do yeah they they do i, I the other thing that uh, you showed a headline there just now another yeah. thing 
that uh, Digiday wrote pretty recently is that Facebook Live doesn't have to be live like this is happening right now. There's a lot of archival video on that. Yeah. So it's, it's something of a misnomer. And Facebook really, they're not really making too much of an effort to try to keep everything live because what they want is resonance. And uh, yeah. people people lead busy lives. You know, maybe I can't, maybe I'm busy. I can't watch this live. Uh, so I'll watch it when I get home. What's wrong with that, right? Yeah. So uh, anyway, we'll see what they do. Um, but they, they, I think they mean to win this time. They really do. Uh, you were just talking about the teams that brand that media brands have now for producing this type of content. We saw a similar report for, uh, for Snapchat. Um, there's brands that are, are hiring. I mean, there's you know six to seven people that are just focusing on producing content for for Snapchat or, or like you said for Facebook Live. Um, are you starting to see that a lot more often um, with, with the media brands that you follow? Um, no. Um, I mean, Snapchat. Not just Snapchat, even, but just, you know, teams that are focused on specific, uh, you know, channels such as Facebook Live, such as Snapchat, such as. Yeah, may, maybe a handful. Yeah. And and we all could guess who they would be. It would be Huffington Post and Mashable and publications that really have no choice because they did the deal with the devil and they said, okay, we're, we're going to scale. We're going to win through scale. And boy, that is just a, a swamp now because uh, it's really the platform that has co-opted them instead of the other way around. Now, when you think about it, guys, right? Like two years ago, Mashable and Huffington Post were, were, were expecting people to come to them and they were going to be the front door it's going to be HuffPost Live. And in and, and the last 18 months has been this reversal where they realize that, that the promise of AOL back 20 years ago, that everything would be in this comfy place like this, this gated community, yeah. uh, that that's, that's what, uh, that's what uh, Snapchat to some extent is and Facebook is now. Yeah. So and, and I think I think to the to even go further than video, I think what you're seeing is Facebook and, and other platforms uh, or, or let me rephrase that. I think what you see is publishers acknowledging that driving people to a website takes a lot of effort um, and that the platforms are rigging the game to de-incentivize that. So you have Facebook instant articles, you have Google AMP, you have Snapchat Discover, things like that, that are taking that content and pushing it out to people where they are instead of trying to push them somewhere else. That's a great point, Chris. They, uh, and, and the overhead of getting that right, I interviewed somebody from Mashable a while back, and he was saying, you know, YouTube wants, <clears throat> YouTube is not going to frame something that ran on Facebook. You have to produce the YouTube video with those specs. And the amount of overhead to sort of placate every individual platform is just drudgery. And uh, I guess we're at a point in publishing history where they dare not do it, so they're going to do it. But I haven't, I haven't seen the guaranteed upside for this yet. I really haven't. No, uh, completely agree. Okay. I don't know. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, I was, let's go on to the next one. Was 
uh, if that's all right with you guys, we'll go on to the next. Yeah. One. Yeah. Uh, so next one, uh, let me bring it up on the screen. We're going to talk about Product Hunt. So I'm a big fan of Product Hunt and been using it for a while. Uh, love the mobile app, but also just the desktop app for finding new technology, new podcasts uh, that um, I wouldn't find anywhere else. Um, and Sam, I think you have a definitely a you know, I'm the tech geek uh, in my family, and that's that's why I love ProdcCon. But I think you have a different view in terms of how media is actually using it. So tell us uh, about your uh, take on ProdcCon. Well, they uh, it's it's beautiful when you we have a clean slate, and you can be a little bit this, a little bit that. Uh, they didn't launch with these pro these interviews, but uh, uh, six to nine months ago, I think they started doing uh, live chats the way you, you and I are doing right now. And yeah. there have been quite a, quite a few editors, like big shot editors, uh, Farhad Manju from uh, the New York Times, uh, Marshall Patrick, who's not a journalist right now. He's developed a tool little called Bird. Little, little Bird. Yeah, he's he's been on there. And uh, people from TechCrunch. And, and it, to me, it's an environment. It's sort of like a Stack Overflow is to uh, the programming community. I oh, think product product hunt overall <clears throat> is um, a, 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 a well lighted place on the internet where you can hang out and uh, learn about new products, new ideas, communicate with one another, and have uh, some luminaries come by from time to time. The thing that I um, I object to sort of as a journalist is it seems to be pretty cloistered and uh, it, it's very difficult to get your product listed unless somebody somebody already approved lifts the velvet rope for you. Uh, yeah, I know. It's still invite only. I had to go through a friend of mine that actually had publishing access. Um, so yeah, it's not, you don't just sign up and then you can start posting stuff, which you know, I, I think it's probably an early on phase for them, don't you think? I mean, it's just to kind of. I don't. To become, I don't. I think it? that there's. I think that this is this is what I think. I yeah. think that there's a certain. I think there's a certain elite attitude within communities like this, and Product Hunt is only one of them. I think Stack Overflow would be another one. I think yeah. that uh, Slashdot. Uh, was or is another one where it's self-policing and we really don't need any sort of uh, commercialism uh, or uh, mercenaries out there saying anything. And, you know, I'm a little bit biased that I think just because a PR person is pitching something, A, it may be totally legitimate and totally cool. It just may be. And also the individual pitching it just may believe that it's as cool as he or she says that it is. But you could never get anybody in these platform environments to agree to either of those two statements because we can't have people coming in and banging the drum for this or that. And uh, I think it penalizes the uh, the people uh, who frequent the platform. I think that it ought to be, there has to be some channel like contributed content in publications. There needs to be some channel so that, uh, so that new ideas and new products can be augmented. Yeah. I'm just so, going to start right now showing a few different pages. Um, Robert Herjavec is a 
from Shark Tank and Hershevac Group is now uh, doing his live chat. Um, and they just announced the profiles. So, uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's still a new shiny object. Uh, it, it's similar to Dig from back in the days. Um, yeah, we should say that. The, the, the part of the magnetism of it is that the community can upvote or downvote uh, different products. And so um, it's a pretty good system because the, the coolest and best technologies will uh, probably float to the top by dint of this this reddit voting mechanism yeah and you know i've done some research uh, around how do companies uh fare on, on product hunts in terms of launching their product there um and it, it's still a yet to be determined there's no science around it there's no like this is exactly what you need to do to get the top vote and to get this much traffic to your site. Um, but it almost, it almost seems like a old school dig. It, it totally does. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's definitely and right that there. Was, that was a revered um, franchise. And yeah. uh, I admire, I admire any site that can deliver that level of passion that uh, people would go out and fight for it. Um, and and swear by it and i guess that could only come with a certain purity of uh, and and a certain level of control of what the experience is yeah totally. all right uh so i guess they won't invite me on uh, product hunt for chat that's okay <laughs> I'll, I'll ping them my friend was on it a couple <laughs> days ago she wrote a her company wrote a an app for Slack, and she's used to work at Google as a product manager, and uh, and and um, and Twitter. So um, she got on there, which I was kind of surprised, but uh, she did pretty good. It's an, I mean, it's obviously a great site. It's done super well. I just think it needs to have um, a doorway for um, for PR people, frankly. Yeah. No, totally. totally fair point yeah i'm just showing the page right here on, on how you can actually post a new product uh, a new game or a new podcast uh it's pretty simple uh it does definitely go through a review process even if you have publishing access um but they're pretty responsive uh from how i've done it before i've done it with a few clients uh, on some of their podcasts and it's helped us um it's, it's definitely helped us get some pretty good feedback because that's the other thing about this. It's not just about upvoting, but there's actual conversations that are happening. Um, so uh, something to look forward to. Definitely check it out, producthunt.com. All right, uh, on to our next one, which would be G2 Crowd. So product reviews. Um, you know, the way that anybody looks up uh, is going to buy a product is by referrals. They want to ask their friends what's going on. And, you know, is this TV the right one for me? How did it work? Or... Should I buy this software for doing this uh, in my company? Uh, so G-Crowd definitely has that, I, don't know if I would say, unbiased view because you never know who's actually posting on there. But it definitely is, uh, from an SEO standpoint, pretty popular uh, when you're looking for comparing one software versus another. Uh, it's only software that I've seen. Um, so uh, Sam, uh, what is uh, your take on G2Crowd? Uh, well, Randy, I, I don't know specifically sort of down to bedrock about G2 Crowd. I, I've been studying the category, though, 
Uh, and the yeah. category um, comprises G2 Crowd, which, as you say, has been around for quite a long time. Uh, Gartner is big into this business. They have something called Gartner Peer Reviews, uh, and they've also been acquiring uh, companies that do this. They, they haven't acquired G2 Crowd, but they've acquired a couple. There's a, another company called um, IT Central Station, I believe it is. And uh, all of it is under sort of the broad moniker of Yelp for IT. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's a pretty good way to think about it. Uh, to your point, Randy, about can you really trust uh, what whether the person's taking a little bribe on the side to to say something nice uh the gartner owned uh sites do have a, a vetting process so i'm told that um that uh, reviews are vetted and because i i think they can't afford a scandal you know they just don't want a scandal and they know there's a public company and i'm sure the uh the legal team and the compliance team is like, hey, we have to be careful. So they don't just let anybody say something. The, the email address and the credentials have to check out. So that's really good. I don't know about G2 Crowd. I think that's the only way you could do it with with the millions of dollars that are being spent all the time on these these tech products. I just got an email from uh, Social. Uh, they were asking me to review um, so they said to all their customers, and we're asking to review uh, Sprout Social. Um, so that was something new that uh, I'm starting to see more often from companies. Uh, I know Nimble uh, Storage, um, not, sorry, not Nimble Storage. Uh, it's a lead gen software, and, and they sent me an email as well. Uh, so I'm starting to see more often in the tech sector, people pushing me to G2 Crowd to write a review. Um, and, you know, I... I I haven't, uh, you know, we can look up Garner stuff as well. Um, and there's definitely a bunch of other sites. So Sam, to ask a question uh, related to what you're seeing, are people going more towards these type of sites versus looking for a, an actual product review in a publication that they read all the time? Well, they almost have to because the uh, the number of publications that, Author authoritatively review products or they might do product comparisons they're just becoming more and more scarce a lot of the <clears throat> a lot of the talent that used to run uh, labs at a network computing or information week i mean these people wind up in the vendor business so um, they really the, the media is almost useless in 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 um, their ability to provide the scale and the uh, the opinions of uh, of these sorts of sites. And it's, it's sort of like Glassdoor. Like if you're looking for jobs or you have a job, you might want to be looking for another one. You go to Glassdoor, find out what people have to say and what was the interviewing yeah. process like. So um, I, I think that um, what I'm not seeing yet, and, and I think, I, might be a good story for me, is to see whether <laughs> IT journalists pay attention to the things that are said uh, in these uh, in these sites, like a G2 crowd. I know that uh, a lot of reporters used to go to LinkedIn IT groups and see what people were saying and what they were complaining about, and they would get story ideas based on LinkedIn IT groups. 
Um, I haven't heard anything about a G2 crowd, but maybe that's only because I haven't looked hard enough. But um, (laughs) it's definitely these sites have inherited what used to be the labs in uh, the tech media space and probably have eclipsed them in a lot of ways just because of the scale of opinion and all of the different contexts and you can search uh, by year and you know once in the database you can slice it and dice it so yeah I, I find that not a lot of people know about these sites Randy really I mean, yeah and I started hearing it from one of my clients um, so it was it was kind of news to me um, again my previous experience from back when was I used to work at Roxio I used to one of our affiliates uh, the top affiliates w- were these comparison websites to compare, you know, the CD DVD bring software back in the days uh, to uh, each of the different vendors and, um, and each of those links to go buy it to get more information. We go to the vendor website, which would be an affiliate link um, to you know to, to get a percentage of uh, of the uh, of the sale. So definitely uh, something that um, you know, we'll uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I think it's definitely peer reviews are definitely. The norm. I mean, people like go to their friends and trusted people to find out what's new. You bet. Um, I will say though, um, to to be positive about tech media in this space, Tom's Hardware and Tom's IT Pro are two good publications. They have really uh, high level freelancers doing their reviews work. <clears throat> They're clearly not doing. Like software-defined networking things that 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 where where the 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 testing base is just too complicated, but uh, Tom's Hardware and Tom's IT Pro really should be visited uh, if you care about uh, good authoritative and high-integrity uh, product reviews. Yep. All right, um, we're coming up uh, almost on the hour. Um, any other before we get to the rapid fire, which is always fun. Uh, are there any other uh, things that we want to talk about today? I don't know, Phil, any, other, any, any questions from anybody uh, watching or listening? Uh, I don't believe I don't so. think so. I don't believe so right now. Um, okay. But if we do, especially on the on-demand, definitely uh, they can either hit us up at Advoche Nation or uh, you on Twitter at, at Sam Whitmore. Um, and then we'll, uh, we'll make sure to pass on anything over to you. Um, no, it's been super helpful. Um, I learned a lot, and, and hopefully others are listening in have as well. Uh, so uh, let's see. Next up, we want to do some rapid fire, and then we can do our closing comments. Uh, so first question, favorite publication that you read? Oh, boy. Uh, Bleacher Report, um, ProPublica. <laughs> ProPublica. Um, those right. are those are my two passions. Yeah, ProPublica, speaking truth to power. <laughs> uh, favorite uh, reporter growing up? Oh man, it, it would have to be Bob Woodward, uh, and he's he's going. He's still doing it. He's going after Trump. So uh, <laughs> yeah, and I, I think also uh, Matt Taibbi. Uh, he, he's he's sort of a wild man, uh, but he's he's like this generation's Hunter Thompson and. Uh, uncompromising and entertaining as well shrill but funny that's tough to to combine <laughs> yeah uh, Phil can you go for the next one 
Uh, yeah. Uh, tell us about the uh, the last book you read. Oh, it, it was a book by Mario uh, Puzo, the guy that uh, wrote The Godfather. Uh, and it was his last book, or one of his last books, called The Last Dawn. And I bought it uh, in a Morgan Memorial Goodwill store for a buck. And uh, <clears throat> it was awesome. It was about the linkage between organized crime and Hollywood. And uh, Mario Puzo wrote the original screenplay for the original Superman movie that Christopher Reeve was in. And it was spiked because they brought a new director in and the new director said, this is crap. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, so Mario had a lot of backstory about the money and how organized crime enforces contracts with uh, uh, or sometimes invests where other people won't. So it was um, it was a great read. Great, great read. The Last Dawn, D-O-N. All right. I'll check it out. Uh, I'm reading. um uh, Ready Player One right now. I don't know if you guys are into gaming at all. Uh, that's, that's a really good book. Is it? Are you read it already? Yeah, okay. yeah, it's really good. Awesome. I started reading it a couple weeks ago, so I've only gone to like page 50. <laughs> It'll probably take me the whole year to read it <laughs> my schedule. But, um, yeah, it's so, awesome. Sam, you mentioned when we were talking uh, before we started about two websites that were really, uh, really on your radar. You want to mention those briefly? Yeah, real briefly. Uh, one is mentionmap.com, two Ps, mentionmap. And it's for people that love Twitter, and it's for people who want to understand uh, who somebody tweets with and how often. And so uh, it, it, it paints dynamically a, a sort of hub-and-spoke map of who an individual tweeter most recently was corresponding with. So if I was if I was in PR and I had uh, a target, if I had a reporter that I wanted to get to know, I would go to mentionmap.com. It's a free tool, and just see what the ecosystem is around him or her, and not just the individuals they talk to, but also hashtags that they uh, that they use. It's a really great way to audit somebody's Twitter behavior. Uh, you might call it spying or lurking. I would call it research, uh, but it's a lot of it's a lot of fun to use. So that uh, that's one of them. And then the other one is SimilarWeb, SimilarWeb.com. Uh, it's a site to go to if you care about how many page views a month a site gets. Uh, whether SEO or social is more important in driving traffic to that site. Uh, as you can see on your screen right now, you can compare one publication versus another with uh, these criteria. It's a freemium product, so all we're seeing is sort of the, the tip of what's possible. But I have learned an awful lot about I did a piece last year for Media Survey on the top 15 tech sites and uh, exactly what you're looking at right now, the composition, their audience, what referring sites were to those sites, and people went after they left those sites. Great mind candy site, similarweb.com. Oh, very cool. And I sounded like I was selling it. <laughs> just a fan of it. Are you the president? Wait a minute. All, All right. right. Cool. Well, thanks, uh, Sam. Uh, that has been an um, awesome list of tools that we've talked about. Um, I 
really appreciate uh, I know we're at the top of the hour here, so we're going to kind of close up shop. Yeah. Um, any closing comments uh, from both of you? Uh, Sam, go first, and then Silk, uh, go ahead. I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for the opportunity. It was fun to do. Uh, and I hope I meet some new friends out of this. Sam at mediasurvey.com is email. And then Sam Whitmore is the Twitter uh, handle. And, uh, you know, Voce has been part of the Media Survey family for a long, long time. And it's been great to uh, grow together. And I thank you. Welcome. Cool. And, and we appreciate your time, Sam. Uh, everybody can follow us on Twitter at Voce Nation. Find us on uh, Instagram at Voce Nation, uh, Facebook and LinkedIn and Google Plus. We are Voce Communications. Uh, also, Voce Communications for the latest and greatest. And uh, we will be back next week, I believe, with uh, yet another show. Yeah, next week is going to be uh, Jeremy Kaplan from uh, Digital Trends. Uh, so he's the editor in chief over there. Uh, he, uh, we've been working with him for for a while. Uh, not only from pitching his staff, but uh, he also participated in a uh, content marketing predictions uh, report that we did back in December. Uh, so he'll be uh, just coming back from CES Asia, and it'll be interesting to hear uh, some of the uh, trends that are going on, going on over there. All right. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, guys. You Thanks, everybody. Bye.